1970 was a long, long time ago. In September of that year, Ford introduced the Pinto. The supersonic Concorde landed for the first time at Heathrow Airport. The first New York City Marathon was held. Both the Mary Tyler Moore Show and Monday Night Football premiered. And along with all of that, I was 14 years old and starting my freshman year of high school. That was also when a new youth pastor showed up at our church. 51 years have passed since the day I met Phil Douglas, and I'm really excited to reconnect with Phil all these years later to talk about life and ministry on this special episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, this episode of Youth Culture Matters is going to be really fun, at least for me, because it's a day where I get to reconnect with someone who's had a pretty profound influence on my life. Uh, he was in my life for, I think, a period of about nine or ten months back when I was a freshman in high school, and it's my first youth pastor, Phil Douglas, who, as I've traveled over the years, I know in our youth ministry circles, many of you have encountered Phil because for so many years he was teaching and and leading practical uh, ministry, practical theology classes at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. Some of you are familiar with Phil and actually have studied under him and been mentored by him, and then some of you, this will be a new introduction to Phil, but I don't know. Phil, I am so glad you're here and joining us from St. Louis. And I, I think as we chat, you know, I throw a lot of, I throw a lot of, I, I don't want to say blame. I don't know what to, credit. I'll say a lot of credit to you <laughs> for the fact that I'm in youth ministry because you had a profound impact on my life, which we'll continue to talk about here. Uh, yeah. But I'm sure some people who are listening who know me well will say, I wonder if this is a guy we need to blame. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's <laughs> Phil, but... I, I just, this is so much fun and to be able, like, I see you. The people who are listening can't see you. Chris can see you. And I got to tell you, you haven't aged at all. I mean, it's an amazing thing to, to look at you. But I want to give you, uh, I'm going to, well, let me, let's start with this, all right? I, I want you to tell folks what you've been doing since I first met you, which was uh, the fall of 1970, my freshman year of high school. We had moved to uh, Maple Glen, Pennsylvania, where my dad had become the pastor of a Presbyterian church. And I remember one of the first things he did, he, he said, we have got to do effective ministry to kids. And he went over to Princeton Theological Seminary. I don't know if he pulled your name off a board, like you were looking for a field ed opportunity or an appointment was set, but he came back. He was thrilled. I've got this guy who's going to come in on weekends. Uh, during these two school semesters, you know, during the school year and do ministry here. And you you were a pioneer. You know, those were the early days of youth ministry, and those were the first days of youth ministry at Supply. We'll come back and talk about that, but I want to hear, let you, have you tell people what you've been doing since then, because it's, to me, it's exciting. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was, uh, it was just a work of God that I was linked up with your dad because I had, as soon as I got to Princeton Seminary, 
I, I got in with a group of brothers who, because Princeton was a pretty hostile place, actually. And so I, I developed a friendship with about uh, six or seven fellows. We would have dinner together in the cafeteria every night. But uh, they persuaded me to go over with them to Princeton University to do college ministry. But after about two or three weeks, this would have been about the middle of uh, September of uh, 70. Uh, it, it was apparent to me that we had enough ministry guys over there. And so I went to the uh, office there at the seminary and asked if any churches were looking for interns. And so they connected me with your dad. And I thought, well, this is terrific. It's, uh, it's only a 50 minute drive over to Maple Glen. And, and I really liked your dad, always did. Uh, he, he's, he, was, uh, he was just kind of a hero to me. And so that, uh, that started me going every weekend, as you said, over to Maple Glen. Uh, and uh, gasoline was inexpensive. It was 28 cents a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that guy, that guy who was a hero to you, I remember he, he, he brought this up all the time that, that talking about gas because he kind of lived and died with gas prices, if you remember how frugal he was. And I remember he, he's always correcting me. He said, I remember the conversation I had with you. When I said gas was going to hit a dollar a gallon and you said that would never happen. And I'm telling you, every time I go to the gas pumps now, I think about him in that conversation. Yeah. You know, one of the many, many times he was right and I was wrong. But go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I was I was blessed with a uh, four year old Pontiac Firebird. I don't know if you remember. That. Oh, man, I was going to get to that. That was like great <laughs> convertible, right? No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't a, convertible. a convertible. I thought it was a convertible. No. But uh, yeah, so I, that's what I, I drove uh, over to Maple Glen every weekend. And uh, your dad had set it up with me to stay with a, a family in your church. And uh, they, their uh, youngest daughter, youngest child had gone off to college. So they had an extra room. And so it worked out really well. I, I, I enjoyed I, uh, the drive. I, so, uh, so just like you said, it was every weekend. And uh, your dad paid me 20, $25 a weekend. <laughs> he, pre he probably thought that's too much, Phil. Yeah, knowing him, know. you know. Yeah, he was generous. I, I, I know. <laughs> it's true. But it worked out okay when when you're talking about gasoline at 28 cents a gallon, uh, you know, $25 went a long way. <laughs> yeah, this of course was 50 years ago, so yeah. that's that's the way it was. But I'd always thought it was providential that uh, I got linked with your dad because I always liked him a lot and. A fine preacher, just a fine, godly man. And I enjoyed the way that he related to your mom and your, to you and your two brothers. So that, uh, that meant a lot to me. So. 
<laughs> you know, I've got to tell you this story. Oh, was, boy, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, I, uh, I was trying to save as much money as I could, so I'd always cut my own hair. And <laughs> I do, I sort of remember this. Yeah. And so I had this uh, sort of uh, razor type thing. And so I did okay cutting the top of my head and the, the sides, but I couldn't see the back of my head. So I ended up shaving this huge swath that uh, where I was pretty much bald in the back of my head. And so I, uh, I made the trip over to Mabel Glen, walked into your house there, and your dad took one look at me and just burst out in uproarious laughter. And I didn't know what he was laughing about until he took me to the to the mirror and showed me what I had done. And so happily, your dad was an experienced barber. He always That's questionable. The- That's questionable. <laughs> we'll talk about that. <laughs> but but he always uh, cut your hair and your brothers and torture and so yeah and so he he uh he shaped it so i didn't look completely ridiculous so but he was always very kind to me and and so i i just appreciate the memory of him really so 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 after you you graduated from princeton talk a little bit about your journey and and uh, bring it around to to where you know you you sit now uh yeah sure well, I actually, it was your dad that uh, linked. Well, I, I met Rebecca uh, down because I did an intern year. That's why I was only one year at Supply. And I did an intern year with this group. It turned out to be 11 of us uh, working with the National Prayer Breakfast. And, and so I met Rebecca because she was ministering with Young Life and and then with uh, the prayer breakfast people. And so we became great friends and I dated, I, well, it was, it was over the summer of 20, I see, the summer of uh, 71 and uh, into 72. And then we got married September of 72 to go back for my uh, second and third year of seminary. And uh, so we, uh, I uh, finished at uh, Princeton, which again was a a real challenge for me because uh, I was right in the middle of the Vietnam War and a lot of my classmates were uh, draft dodgers and really not serious about the Lord. And a lot of my faculty actually were were not really that serious about the Lord. And so it was a it was a very trying uh, several years at Princeton and and so I graduated in uh, seventy four. And your dad linked me with uh, Graham Smith. Oh, yeah. Who uh, was pastor. He's passed on now. But he was uh, he was pastor at Fairlington Presbyterian Church in Northern Virginia. It was about four miles south of the Pentagon. 
And so I was, uh, my job description was about 40% of my time working with the kids, uh, about 20% visiting people in the church, 20% evangelism, and 20% uh, preaching mostly in the evening service. And so, but those were very, uh, very important, difficult, but important years learning a lot of the nuts and bolts, ups and downs of uh, vocational ministry. But then after five years as an assistant pastor, when I was 31 years old, I, I became intrigued by this new denomination, uh, Presbyterian Church in America. And because our presbytery had just ordained a fellow who denied the deity of Christ. And, and I thought, well, I'm not sure I can hang in with uh, Peace USA. And, and so, I met with the one and only PCA pastor, uh, Ron Bossom, who had just planted a year and a half earlier, the one and only PCA church in the Washington region. And that's now up to 50 churches, by the way. It's, hmm. it's, uh, and he told me about uh, six families out on the western growth edge of Washington, an area called Gainesville, Manassas, uh, Warrington. And so he said, or would you be interested in planting, being the church planter? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. He took me out there. It took Rebecca and me out to meet them. And we just started planting that church six weeks later. And it was, it was just one of those experiences where the Lord's blessing was on that ministry from the very beginning. It, uh, I, we just had a lot of growth, both uh, numerically, but spiritually. And, and we were able to plant a couple of daughter churches. And, and I just fell in love with church planting, evangelism and church planting. And so that um, that got the attention of Paul Koistra, who was the new president at Covenant Seminary, because Paul wanted to uh, have Covenant be a place where church planters could be trained. And so he in invited me to come and join the faculty. And, and so that was 35 years ago, and we've We've trained and sent out uh, 300 church planters now into the, into the PCA. And so it was just something the Lord wanted to have happen. And so he, he worked in Paul Quisha's heart and my heart and my wife's heart and because she has been a terrific uh, mentor to student wives all through the years and uh, and so, but then when I turned 70, which was three years ago, I moved to emeritus status here at the seminary and became the director of church planting for Missouri Presbytery. And so I, 
I uh, recruit and, and train church planters for this whole uh, eastern part of the state. And so that's what I have been doing and I continue to do and hope to do the rest of my life. Yeah, that, and that, that's a great story. And, you know, I, I think about all of the people that, uh, you know, I mean, just as you get older, just all the people that you rub elbows with, all, all of the people you have an opportunity to ministry, do ministry alongside of, those that you influence, and you sort of, you sort of forget, um, and I know you well enough, I know you haven't changed because I've heard people talk about you, and I remember what you were like, uh, you know, the, the humility of, of, you know, basically like running the race and not really looking side to side and thinking about other people, but keeping your eyes on Christ. And so it's not surprising to me that you wound up doing what you've done, and, and uh, you won't say it, but I've talked to others you know, they'll talk about the success you've had in those endeavors, you know, to to help people plant churches. So uh, that's good. And and I, I'm thrilled we're, we're having this conversation. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to I want to start to revisit those early years of your ministry and specifically when you were at Supply and and, you know, age brings wisdom. Uh, I truly believe that. And I've seen that. And and I want to tap into your wisdom because just like you had a lot to say to us back then in 1970 and 71, and you've had a lot to say over the years, a lot to teach uh, from your wisdom and expertise to the students there at Covenant, Covenant and Church Planners. I think I'm excited to hear your, your wisdom just from what you've learned over the years that you can pass on to the youth workers and the parents who listen to, to this podcast. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back and continue our conversation with Phil Douglas. Tens of thousands of kids have been trained by their parents and youth workers to think Christianly about music and media with our How to Use Your Head to Guard Your Heart 3D Guide to Making Wise Media Choices. This easy-to-use teaching tool needs to be in your youth ministry toolbox if you desire to teach your students to integrate their faith into all of life. Jesus calls us to follow Him, and that includes following Him into the six to nine hours a day of screen time that shape and mold the beliefs and behaviors of our kids. To learn more about our 3D Media Evaluation Guide and to order a copy for every member of your youth group, go to our website at cpyu.org. Teach your kids to engage with media to the glory of God. Well, I don't know if, if those of you who are doing youth ministry can imagine what it's like, you know, 50 years from now to reconnect with one of your students that you're ministering to today. But this is this is actually happening right now on this podcast as uh, my 65-year-old self is going back to my freshman year of high school outside of Philadelphia, Upper Dublin High School, and being in the youth group, new to the area, the church my dad was pastoring, Supply Presbyterian Church, and if you listen to the first part of this, you heard from Phil Douglas, who was that young youth worker. How old were you, Phil? I was then, 22. 22, and yeah. he shows up weekends. He's working with us as a uh, an intern, a student intern. Um, you know, youth ministry was was in so many ways pretty young back then, so so we thought we, we hit the jackpot with you coming for the weekends, but I wrote down some things, Phil, that I remember about you, things I will never forget. And sometimes when I run into folks who know you now, 
I'll bring this up, you know, and, it, and none of it's astounding, but just, I mean, so, so, so think about this. All right. So yeah. I remember when you, you mentioned the car and yeah. I remembered when you pulled into the driveway, the first, that first weekend you were there and I walked outside to meet you. Yeah. And, um, I have to admit, I was initially more impressed with the car than I was with you. <laughs> My eyes just landed on that car, that Firebird, that white Firebird was just so awesome. Because uh, it was at a '67 Firebird, '67. Well, 16? let's see. Because uh, it, it was, was the it was the really good years of Firebird. You know, the initial. Yeah. yeah well, it so. was four years old, and okay. so yeah, so '66, yeah. '67, something yep. like yeah, that. Yeah, what a great car! I mean, I just remember yeah. that and. And I remember first time I took a ride in it, which I, pr I probably begged you in that moment, can you drive me somewhere and go past my friend's house and honk the horn? I can wave. I mean, that was just an amazing car for a 14-year-old to see. Uh, I also remember your addiction to dentine gum. Oh, you yeah. always had dentine. <laughs> yeah. You were always right. chewing dentine. And I think yeah. I think that helped sales of dentine because all of us who were your you know minions and your followers we we got into that habit as well. Um, when the, I think it, I think it was to help me with halitosis. Okay, all right. Well, thanks for doing that, Dan. Uh, <laughs> that helps your ministry, right? Yeah, I have it to does. be I have to be conscious of that around the clock in my life. Yeah. You know. Oh sure. Fortunately, I have kids who will raise the warning flag most folks won't um i also remember when the winter months came when it started to get cold you had yeah. this um now this is like the ultimate compliment right this is this is where you yeah. want to be like your youth pastor you had a a navy pea coat you know the navy yeah. pea coats which have never yeah. really gone out of style they've been back and forth and i remember that christmas do you know what i asked my parents for a navy pea coat because uh. phil has one I well, also it's a good choice. Yeah, you were a southern boy from Tennessee coming to the the great gritty obnoxious yeah. northeast, especially, you know, the Philly area. Yeah. And I remember you with your southern accent and if I remember yeah. right, you had graduated was it Washington and Lee? Yeah, you that's right. To, okay, right. So I remember that. Yeah. And um I I remember when you would introduce yourself to people, you weren't Phil. You were feel. That's and really so we true. would often right, we would often call you Feel, Feel Douglas. And uh, that true. was our that was our obnoxious northeast thing. But I also, oh. you know, like the great thing was like you said, you know, just your sensitivity to uh spiritually what was happening at Princeton, what was not happening at Princeton with other students and and professors right. and even your move uh yeah. you know during those years when you know you had a a, a pastor who who you know, denied the deity of Christ, which, right. you know, a lot of that was starting to happen back then, but just your, your love for Christ. And so I want to ask you, um, I want you to go, just go back and, you know, that your first year of youth ministry, like, what did you learn? You know, what, what were some of the impressions that you walked away with? The mm -hmm. things that would, lessons that, you know, as you've trained students now and young men and women, you talk to young men and women now, uh, they're at Covenant Seminary, a uh, variety of people going into pastoral ministry, counseling, missions work, uh, youth ministry, whatnot. Um, were there any lessons you you learned then or that you were starting to learn perhaps that oh, I, are I worth think passing some, on? Yeah, I'd love to yeah, hear I some think, of that. I think uh, some key things that I, I learned, and it was uh, probably being influenced by uh, Dick Halverson, Richard mm -hmm. C. Halverson Fourth at Fourth Press. Presbyterian. 
which was the church that, I, that had discipled me. I, I would drive up uh, from Lexington, Virginia to Bethesda, Maryland. And, but I think, um, I think uh, the thing that I learned from Dick Halverson, and your dad, of course, was great about this too, is just the centrality of Christ. And uh, we didn't use this terminology in those days, although I wish we had, but uh, it's union with Christ. Uh, even though that's uh, in our confession, it's, uh, at, of course, Christ and his, all the times that the Apostle Paul uh, speaks of being in Christ, with Christ, by Christ, uh, through Christ. I, I counted it up one time and it came to 222 times just in his 13 epistles. And I, I think that I, I was trying to communicate awkwardly, I think, uh, to the kids. Uh, I think another lesson that I was conscious of in those days was that uh, the kids weren't going to grow any more than I was growing at the time. And, and so uh, whatever I would teach, and then the few times I would uh, preach at Supply, uh, I, I tried to, to proclaim what I was learning and how the Lord was, was growing me. And so it was always very personal. Uh, I never, I never cared too much for uh, just abstract theology and and teaching. Uh, that was why seminary, I think, was so hard for me. It had to be personalized, and it had to be my growth edge. And so I think um, I think that has been one of the, the key lessons for me in life and ministry. You can't, you can't teach what you haven't already experienced yourself. Let, let, me, let me ask you about that because one of the things we talk about here quite a bit, and we've talked to a lot of folks in our youth ministry world about some of what's trending. You know, uh, education, the value of education among a large number of folks in ministry has diminished. Uh, you know, seminary education and, and otherwise, you know, one of our board members here who's a youth pastor posted on one of the Facebook forums just the other day, uh, shared an article that had come out about the importance of seminary education. I think Cameron Cole, one of our friends at Rooted, had written it about mm -hmm. the, you know, I think it was three reasons why seminary education is important for a youth worker. And, mm -hmm. you know, our, our friend who posted it uh, got so much pushback, you know, so... And what I've seen is, so there's been sort of a decline in in the value of education, both formal, and I would even say self-education in terms of reading. This is yeah. not with everybody, but it's just a, sort of the way the wind's blowing, I think. Yeah. And then there's more of a leaning into, uh, you know, to equip yourself for youth ministry, leaning into forms and structures. Um, to be blunt, I mean, rather than the scriptures, and right. trusting, you know, your, you know, how you're curating your ministry, even your things like your youth room and, you know, who you are as an individual, like appearance wise, um, you know, to, to draw kids leaning into that and less. Uh, and I think I think a lot of a lot of youth workers now are here's what I'm getting to. 
a lot of youth workers now are spending so, so much time on those things that they don't have time to do what you say you were doing, and that mm-hmm. was cultivating your own faith and teaching us and right. the, the other students you worked with after that, teaching mm-hmm. us out of that, which, you know, that's your knowledge, that's your passion, that's your growth. And so what so many are doing now is taking the, the buying, purchasing, you know, and this is an issue for pastors, right? They're not preaching their own material. They're buying sermons. Right. Right. And I think that that just, I just, I'm sure God can use that. But for me, uh, I want to hear someone mm-hmm. teach me out of their experience, their knowledge, their passion, their wisdom. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, if I, if, if I, I don't want to sit and listen to you regurgitate mm-hmm. someone else's stuff. And because right. there's so much that, that's gone. Uh, right. You know, as a result of that, and we've talked about that here on this podcast before, uh, mm-hmm. the importance of nurturing your own soul and teaching out of your passions. Right. right. You know, how how have you I mean, have you seen that in the larger I know at Covenant, that's not an issue because mm-hmm. I, I know Covenant and I know how you're training right. people there. But, you know, have you seen that? Have you spoken to that? I mean, can you respond yeah. to that? Well, I, I think I. One of the great blessings in my life uh, has been Covenant Seminary because I've been able to see up close and personal what a really good seminary is. <laughs> and so I couldn't help but compare it to my seminary experience as a student because I, and I've also seen the transformation in a in this really good seminary that I'm looking at outside my window here, uh, in terms of the the faculty that we've brought on, uh, and how 35 years ago, it uh, it was not personalized. It it was very, uh, it was just dealing with the intellect, which is important, of course. But but uh, to see this ministry here transformed by mostly through three really good presidents we've had in the in a row and uh, mark dalby your friend uh, is the third and now we've got one of our graduates who has come and he's very much in the mold of what we're talking about it's it's uh, it's all personalized and so uh, teaching and preaching out of what the Lord is doing to grow us. So I uh, no, I'm a big fan of seminary. <laughs> I've stuck around here for 35 years, so you would think I am. And, and so I'm, I am sorry that what you said, of course, is true, especially yeah. youth workers just don't see the, the value. Yeah. Let me let me shift gears here a little bit and go back to your nine to ten months with us. It's a plea. You know, there, yeah. there came a day when you left. Yeah. And uh, I remember that. Um, it was yeah. very sad. It was yeah. sad for us because you were highly relational. Mm-hmm. Um, you spent time with us. You know, you came in Saturday afternoon. You were with us Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. And then you were with us all day Sunday. You would head back mm-hmm. over across state lines to... New Jersey on Sunday evening after we had youth group. When you mm-hmm. left, did you did you feel like you had accomplished anything? You know, as you thought about mm-hmm. your nine months there, talk a bit about that because I know a little bit about that 
you know, what was going on in your mind. But I'd love to hear you talk about that. Be, and, and let's unpack that just a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I chalked up that uh, those nine months to failure on my part. I really could not see, <laughs> I, I really could not see uh, spiritual growth uh, in uh, the students. And there were, uh, my memory is there were about 10 students during that nine months. Uh, and, and then you were a ninth grader. And yeah. so you, you were pretty shy as most ninth graders are hanging out with uh, 11th and 12th graders. And so I just couldn't, I just felt like uh, the year had been pretty much a failure. And, but I think, um, I think part of that was the Lord uh, growing me uh, because I, I, came from such a works righteousness background in a little town in West Tennessee that I grew up in that I, unless I was raised to, to see and believe that unless you could see uh, progress, then you were failing. And so that was an important experience for me. It's a plea and, and seeing that that's, really not the case it's uh the lord is always at work uh in fact i went on uh i went on your website and you had a great quote i uh, and i forget who it was by now but uh it was uh let's see if i can re recall how it went you you have to you can only see clearly backwards, not yes. forwards. Yes, it's like pro God's providence, right? Yeah, it was that's a, it was it John is. Flavel, and yep. he said that uh, like uh, God's providence is like reading Hebrew. Yeah, right. You have to read it backwards. <laughs> I thought that was. I mean, that is just you know when you're going through it, and and you're looking out the windshield at what's what what you're in the midst of and is happening. I mean, I always have felt this about my life. Yeah. You're, you're going, what in the world, especially difficult, you know, difficult times. And I'm sure that was difficult for you uh, sure. back then. We weren't the easiest bunch of uh, hoodlums <laughs> back there, those suburban kids, suburban Philly kids. And, um, yeah, but then you look in the rearview mirror, right? And, right. you know, I've had the chance to do that. I'm old enough to do that now. And, sure. and I, and, you know, and by the way, the rearview mirror, reminds you of things that you never should ever have done and you don't want to do again but it also <laughs> it also shows you how god you know has worked even through even through those things and you know so when i remember back i i think your memory has failed you there were more than 10 because i can i can start okay. naming people and okay. it was a growing group um yeah. and and i remember um you know so maybe there were 20 to 25 who would who would meet and okay. you know so i think about some of the folks who were in that group who i've stayed in touch with who were heavily influenced by you who have also gone into full-time ministry now that's oh, not the that's not the mark of a success successful sure. youth pastor um sure. but there are people who are not in youth ministry who are living their faith with their children and their grandchildren and, uh, you know, someone once said sound travels slowly, which you tell a kid when they're 15, they don't hear till they're 25. That's a good family, family rule, right? And I think it's the same for youth ministry. And, you know, so, Phil, uh, you know, I remember my dad telling me after you left that I, I believe you were in tears. 
if if yeah. I'm not mistaken. And yeah. you let him know that this was, you know, from your perspective, an absolute utter failure. And yeah. you probably took a lot of blame on yourself, which you shouldn't have. But, yeah. you know, I remember him saying to me, uh, that's what Phil believes. I don't believe that. I think Phil's wrong. I've seen the impact. And yeah. it was a rough group because that particular church, when my dad came, uh, would have been much more like what you were experiencing across state lines at Princeton. And, you know, he comes in and he starts to preach the gospel. And we had a lot of kids in that youth group and a lot of kids who were showing up from from the area who Mm -hmm. they had had no history at all of any spiritual nurture in in the home or in the church. And and, you know, so God used you to kickstart that. And I I say that because youth workers who are listening need to realize that and and Mm -hmm. and really be be encouraged in that, Um, you know, so. And I'm sure you're got you know like now, you've got motivated people that you're that you're leading and right. teaching, right? If they get to the point right. where they're planning churches or they're enrolled in a seminary, mm-hmm. uh, there's some significant growth that's all, already taken place, and maybe it's a little bit easier to see the influence there. But don't discount, you know, that's the message that I would give to youth workers. And you know, and and, and by the way, that's another. I understand that that your situation with us was you were student intern. It was a nine month mm-hmm. deal. But a right. lot of youth workers, you know, after eight, nine months who are signed up for more than a nine month deal, it should be a nine, 10, 12 year deal, um, mm-hmm. you know, are ready to ready to jump ship because they don't see, you know, what's happening. So, um, yeah, what um, I want to ask this, you know, so young pastors now, I mean, you've been around a while. What, mm-hmm. What's some of the what, what are some of the nuggets of advice that you give to young pastors and young youth workers? I mean, this would be this would be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, um, I, I think what I, I did not, uh, experience, uh, growing up in, uh, that little town in West Tennessee was basically the heart of the gospel. I, I am completely enamored. I, with, uh, just the gospel, I, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in him, in union with him, we might become the righteousness of God. I simply did not understand that in, a, in any deep way. And I, as I look back, it was over the course of my 20s. Uh, the, the Lord saved me when I was 19, but it was over the course of my 20s that uh, that gospel uh, had taken root, but was was uh, growing, flourishing in my heart, because I really did spend a lot of time looking for results, and uh, so that I could have a a sense of well-being about myself, and so I was I was dependent not on what God was doing, but what I was doing mm. uh, for my own righteousness and, and for my own acceptability. And I, I think, um, and I think that the other thing that I was taught in my early 20s, I was uh, memorizing and meditating on those scriptures, those key scriptures, um, and I remember doing that, driving 
to Supley and back from Supley, uh, was just meditating on the great truths of Scripture. And, uh, and, and since then, I've, I've learned to uh, ask the Holy Spirit to take the things, these great truths, I, and make them known to my heart, as Jesus uh, says in Gospel of John. Mm. And that's been crucial for me, too, he, I, that he would enlighten the eyes of my heart so that uh, I'm able to see the glorious riches of our inheritance in the saints, in the faith. And so, but I think the other thing uh, for your uh, youth workers who are young men or older men, for that matter, is have a group of brothers. I, I thought uh, I, uh, that group that we assemble, there's about six of us, as I said earlier, uh, we're still friends. Uh, and this is all 50 years later and have met for a week every summer uh, ever since seminary. Would we know any of those guys, who those guys are? Or... No, uh, yeah, I'm not, trying to... Okay. No, I, not necessarily. At, uh, I, maybe Chris Halverson. That's, that's who I was and... thinking of, because I remember back when it, it, that year you were there, you brought in his band. Remember that? <laughs> Sons of Thunder? Yeah. yeah. And we were in that back room and uh at supply that what we call the fellowship hall and i yeah. remember the windows were thrown open and there were people in, kind of in the windows in the window sills and leaning and that place was packed you know yeah. our first exposure you know to, to to rock and roll christian you know christian music you know those messages set to rock and roll music the sons of thunder i remember that that was like Man, that was better than if the Rolling Stones had come to town. We thought that was just awesome. Yeah, Chris Halverson. So, and I've stayed in touch. I've had a chance to speak down at Fourth on a couple occasions. Oh, good, good. And uh, known known quite a few of the folks who have done ministry down there. Uh, Jim Byrne, uh, sure. Russ Cadle. I don't yeah. know if you knew Russ. Got to know Russ in the Philly area. Oh, sure. He was doing youth ministry there as well. So, yeah. yeah. Oh man, this is. You know, th this this is just so good. I We're going to take a break. Before we take the break, I'm going to ask Chris, you know, you, you're sitting there. Are you, do you have any anything to ask Phil? I mean, because I know you look at me and you wonder what must he have been like. I don't know if there are questions relate to that, but <laughs> just remember, yeah. Phil, remember the word cool with whatever you answer. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a million questions I could ask Phil. But, Only and one, they, one short well, one. Well, if I had to ask one. All right. Well, all right. I just have to. Uh, it, are there any embarrassing stories you have from uh, of, uh, that have to do with with Walt? Of course, as a, as a ninth grader. Well, you know, it's uh, one of the. It's not. It's not particularly embarrassing, but uh, but again, I remember him as a ninth grader, uh, and ninth graders just don't say very much <laughs> and so as i as i have followed walt through the years i have been so encouraged and, and impressed with the 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 way that the lord has used walt all through these years it's a miracle and, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, of course it is. It's I mean, it's always supernatural. I mean, yeah. that's 
that's certainly true and looking back over our lives but uh i think um i think that was a thing he he uh and again, this is normal for a ninth grader. He just wouldn't uh, say all that much. Well, as but somebody, as somebody, my who, wife would not believe this. This would, <laughs> yeah. As somebody who edits the audio of Walt speaking, all, uh, you know, I, I would really, really like for him to go I've, back to that. I've ninth grown grade, out so. of it. I've grown up. You know what he's saying to you, Chris? He's saying I was a good listener. That's what I'm hearing right now. Phil's saying I was a great listener. So there you take go. Take a lesson. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I've become a master at twisting people's words, and there's a great example of it. Hey, let's take a break. We'll come back. Finish up with Phil. What a great conversation. I just can't, I mean, I almost have chills. This is so great seeing him and talking to him and hearing him laugh. Uh, we'll be back and, and chat with my first youth pastor. Hey, youth workers, I want to let you know about a podcast resource we've recently launched here at CPYU that's just for you. Our brand new The Word in Youth Ministry podcast is a podcast by youth workers and for youth workers that will help you build and improve your ability to teach the Bible and theology to your students. There is not a more important discipleship task than correctly teaching the truths of God's Word to the kids we've been called to lead. We want them to hear the biblical narrative over and above the constant 24-7 noise of the cultural narrative. So check out The Word in Youth Ministry podcast you can find it at cpyu.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, as we turn the corner and finish up this conversation with my friend and influencer and mentor and youth pastor, Phil Douglas, which, by the way, Phil... You know, your words just didn't last for nine months. I truly mean this. They've echoed, you know, for years. One of the reasons why I jumped into this this world of youth ministry was, you know, I saw what you did. Now, my dad used to say to me, you just wanted to get paid to play. And I had to explain to him, no, there's a lot more to youth ministry than that. Um, but he used to, you know, he used to joke with me about that. And it's you know, so so you know, I, I again, this is the this is the influence people have on us, and I would I would put you in that camp of my great influencers. I pulled the other day. Um, we had our CPYU board retreat yes uh, yesterday and and Tuesday night, and before recording this, and I had prepared some remarks and you know a devotion to get us to get us kicking off, and I actually pulled off of my shelf. I don't know if you ever saw this. I, people can't see it, but it's a a book by Larry Richards. It was written in 1971. That's when, you know, uh, the latter half of your, your time with us called Youth Ministry. And yeah. uh, I had this as a text at Geneva College, I think in 1976. I took a youth ministry class, the only class that they had on youth ministry, and read this. And I, I pulled this off the shelf, went through. I had it highlighted, underlined, front to back. And the thing I remember about this was he was hitting home— of course, as you have, the centrality of the gospel and, yeah. you know, knowing the culture, you know, knowing God's word. But the one phrase that comes back over and over to me is people, not programs, people, yeah. not right. programs. And I remember, right. you know, that was the essence of your of your ministry with us. Of course, we didn't have any money or space for programs back then. We were just people gathering together. So we were kind of forced into that. And I sometimes wonder if the great blessing of technology and all the finances and the 
you know, the capital, you know, that we have to, uh, that we curate, you know, to create youth ministry space and programs might not be counterproductive because we get so wrapped up in that. But um, that people, not programs, that really hit me. By the way, I was thinking uh, when you talked about your drives to and from supply and, and scripture, Correct me if I'm wrong. When you said that, I think I remember seeing somewhere in your car little scripture cards, little right. scripture memory That's cards, right. like navigators, yeah. maybe or yeah. No, I was? would uh, I would type them out okay. myself. Yeah, and I and I would tape them to the console of my Firebird. <laughs> okay, so that <laughs> and, was like the early. So that uh, was yeah, that was a big deal. Still is to me. Yeah, I just memorizing and meditating yeah. I, that is i continue to transform my life and and uh, spending i actually i start every morning listening to different podcasts i'm really into tim keller these days and uh, who is a friend from way way back and but i also I think the other thing I spend a lot of time doing is trying to discern what are the deficits in my life and in ministry. Where where are the idolatries uh, mm-hmm. in my life? And then I I spend the first part of every morning uh, looking up on my Logos software what uh, all the passages that have to do with that particular idol. And I, uh, well, for instance, I've been going through the nine fruit of the spirit. And so I I just type in a joy of the Lord in us, because that's always been a, a deficit in my life. Uh, the love of the Lord uh, for us and uh, his patience towards us. And so rather than focusing on how much I, how much joy do I have? uh, It's more, how much joy does the Lord have in me and in us? And so I've got uh, a lot of passages on that, that I ponder and, go back to continually and um and that's um i think for me that's been at the core of a spiritual resiliency that uh, has sustained me and strengthened me through all the ups and downs of life and and ministry yeah well, that's that's a good that that's sort of a good launch point for me to ask this last question because mm-hmm. you've shared with us, uh, you know, one of your habits, and yeah. I truly believe. I mean, we we learn this science shows this now, which is great. Uh, common mm-hmm. sense should convince us that our habits form us, mm-hmm. or our habits deform us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our habits shape us, or our habits misshape us. The, the habits mm-hmm. we choose, the habits we don't choose. You know, all of that. What would you, you know, you've you've mentored so many over the years, and again, I count it a blessing to have to, to, to be sort of in the front of that line, right? You know, so I can right. think back to that. Right. What would be, 
let's just say you've got a captive audience now of um, not just youth workers, some younger youth workers. There's parents listening as well, and, and there's pastors who listen into this podcast. Mm-hmm. Give us, beyond what you just shared, which is very practical, maybe a couple mm-hmm. more, you know, some some must-do personal habits that we should not be compromising on. Yeah. Well, I... Well, when you talk about personal habits, I, I, I do think uh, in practical terms, I, I, I think I, what is very precious to me is that my wife and I, Rebecca, uh, will be married 50 years uh, this uh, next year. And I, starting every morning off, just having a good chat with her and uh, talking about whatever she wants to talk about. Uh, I don't really talk that much. I just listen, <laughs> which, which is, uh, it's not hard for me to do because I like her an awful lot. <laughs> and so, but that's, uh, that's important for me, but it's also really important for her. And so, again, after almost 50 years, I, I just love her and appreciate her more than ever before. And that, that continues to, uh, to grow. So I think uh, that's, a, that's a very important habit. And I find also that if if we don't do that first thing in the morning, it doesn't get done. I'm not one of those guys that, and we do, the last thing we do at night is uh, pray together. And, but uh, if the, the really important things, if we don't start the day uh, with them and devotions and chatting with Rebecca, then I just uh, all the challenges responsibilities of the day crowd in and we just never get it done so that's a habit that we have had over the years oh that's awesome and i you know for those who are uh, those who are married who are listening uh i mean i i think this i think it's always been this way but it seems like this season of ministry the last few years we've seen more high profile right you know marriages end Right. Um, I know, I know. Early on, uh, in my dealings with many of the first youth ministry pioneers, as I've gotten to know them and talk to them, many of them would say one of their greatest regrets is that they spent way too too much time in ministry and not enough time cultivating their their marriage, yeah. and uh, that led to a that led to a lot of brokenness um, yeah. from many of them and and just destruction, very destructive yeah. things that happened and. We know we hear about some of those high-profile stories, and I tell youth workers all the time, "Boy, you know, you're just one bad decision away." It's um, really true. We know that in yeah. in ministry, and it doesn't matter who we are. So yeah. that's good. Anything else you'd say? I mean, let, let me ask you this. Let me end with this. What would your you said seventy three now? Would your seventy yeah. three year old self? Mm-hmm. If we could rewind the clock here and we were in a room together and you were 22 and I was 14 mm-hmm. and I was saying absolutely nothing, as you've said that I did. 
that's actually you're teaching me a little bit more today because I don't remember being. You know, I, I mean, that's that's I, I get it. I yeah, I remember being just like deer in headlights with all those older folks, you know, and being new to that community. But um, what would you say to your what would your 73 year old self say to your 22 year old self? Yeah, it's a great way to end. Yeah, it is. I well, again, my. I, I was raised in such a works righteousness culture in West Tennessee that that has uh, created a, a lot of anxiety, just countless times uh, for me over the course of my life and, and ministry. And I, I think um, I, I think I would talk to myself uh, about, well, again, the gospel and and my acceptances in Christ. It's, but I, I was so eaten up with performance-based acceptance that I was accepted only to the degree that I could perform. Mm. And, and of course, that's just, uh, that's so anti-gospel. Uh, and I, I remember uh, reading in a commentary, James Boyce uh, on John, uh, what he had to say in John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, that, um, the, that God uh, loves and accepts us to the same degree and just as much as he loves and accepts Jesus, his own son. And the first time I read that, I, I was floored. I, I was, it was all I could think about uh, for... I think about three or four days, I, I was just stunned I, that, and of course that, that gets us back into the great truth of union with Christ. But I think um, I, that's what I would have said to myself. Mm. Uh, but of course I didn't know that Right, right. Uh, yeah. as a 22 year old, but that's what I would have uh, focused myself on. Mm. That's awesome. You know, and I'm just going to, as we finish up, I just I want to say something because I've heard you, just what you just said. And then uh, some of the some of the things we were talking about earlier, you know, in our youth ministry world. And, and this really is a challenge to youth workers. You know, Phil's talked about being gospel centered. Mm-hmm. And and I fear that much of our teaching, uh, even from young, the youngest ages in Sunday school and such, and a lot of the curriculum we use, and we really have to learn to be discerning on this. It's well intentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it it engages with the Bible, and we think that it's really really good because there's a lot of Bible stories. But it's more human centered and and moralistically based. You know, moral right. lessons. Right. Right. And I've become more aware of that as I've gotten older, and I think we really need to step back and examine that because. You know, even as Phil's talking here over the course of his life, being a follower of Christ, transformed by Christ, finding his identity in Christ, being gospel-centered, you hear how some of that comes back. You know, the echoes right. of that it comes back. And so that's really a good word from you, Phil, and I appreciate it. You know, I, I realize here as we end this, I've been learning from you now for 51 years. <laughs> and uh, today I, I had a chance to sit at your feet again, and I'm, I'm thrilled that we were able to invite others in to do the same so man god bless you thanks thanks to you you. for all you've done uh in so many lives Uh, again i mean i'd I'd love to talk to you sometime about 
you know, as your boat as your boat sailed on, some of what you left in the the wake by the grace of God, <laughs> um, that's been really beautiful, and I can speak to it from my life, and I know for some others as well. So, uh, yeah, thank you. This is great. Well, this has been great. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Good. A lot of lot of good reminiscing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and uh, man, I wish my dad was here to hear this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think he knows. You know, he knows. Sure. He knew all this. And um, sure. you know, just uh, it's not surprising to hear about the influence that he had as well. That that uh, that sure warms my too. heart. Yeah. Quite a bit. So. Well, thanks, Phil. Uh, blessings okay. on you as your ministry continues. And uh, I'll remind everybody who's listening, everything that Phil mentioned, you know, he talked about Tim Keller's podcast and, and James Boyce's commentaries. I'm going through his com- my, my daughter and son-in-law gave me his four-volume set on Romans, which is just mm-hmm. phenomenal. And, and we've got a group of people going through his devotional right now, Come to the Waters, his uh, daily devotional. Boyce is great, and Phil's mm-hmm. mentioned... Others as well, Covenant Seminary. Chris will include on the player uh, on our page at cpyu.org for this particular podcast uh, links to everything. And uh, we'll even get – I'm going to look for that picture I have of you and me in the front yard. If we can find that, we'll put it up there. I, it's somewhere. I, it's, I can see it right here. Uh, too bad I can't draw it, but we'll get that out there. And then um, uh, also, you know, for those of you who are listening, if you would, leave us a good review, share the podcast, subscribe to it. Uh, that's that's helpful. So it's word of mouth that gets things out there. So thanks so much, Phil. God bless you, Chris. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Yes. It's all been right. a wonderful time. Yeah. Hey, have a great day. Blessings uh, okay. to all. We'll talk to everybody on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.